Welcome to Sacred Magic. Violet is on a quest to bring sacredness back into our everyday experiences. Anyone can have an extraordinary life when they are able to tap into the sacred magic within. Violet and her guests will be sharing their divine passions, inspirations, and stories of connecting with their sacred magic. We are so happy you have joined us today. Let's get started with your host, the magical creator of Discover Your Spiritual Gifts, Violet Rain. Hi, everyone. My name is Violet Rain. I'm the host of Sacred Magic Podcast, and I am so excited today. My guest today is Ben Stimson. He is a therapist, lecturer, student, and spiritual director. Um, he has developed courses on a variety of topics, including ancestral veneration, the power of the story and folklore. When he's not working with clients or writing, he's engaged in his areas of study, which is religious studies, medieval and classic studies, folklore, and spirituality. I'm so excited because this is a topic I haven't talked about, Ben. I'm so excited to have you here. So talk uh, to us a little bit about what brought you on this journey of ancestral studies and really looking at traditions and stuff. Share with us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So for those who don't know who I am on your podcast, um, I started out this journey about probably about eight years ago now. I, I started to work with a group here in Ontario, Canada, where I'm located, um, that really reinvigorated my spirituality. I, it was a lot more experiential than I had been used to before. And, uh, and being from a different country um, where my ancestors existed beforehand, um, I came over to Canada when I was eight years old. I was really disconnected from my own roots, my own um, spiritual roots, my own physical roots. Um, and so my spirituality has always been a very mental thing. So working, starting to work with this group really reinvigorated and really put me into a hands-on place. And that really snowballed. Um, I, I was in a period of my life where uh, things weren't really going to plan. Um, I had dropped out of university about 10, 12 years ago. And, uh, and I, I was just in a rut in my life. And so starting with this group, I started to reinvigorate my life. And that eventually led to me working with uh, or training in psychotherapy. Um, I started working with another person um, through a self-development course. And uh, I also started to uh, be connected with uh, African traditions. So I, my spirituality is kind of all over the place, but I, I solidly landed in an African tradition. And through that tradition, ancestor work was such an important foundational piece. And because of my own personal story coming from the UK as a child and really being disconnected from all of my family over there, my roots suddenly being very different, um, suddenly having an accent, um, it was uh, coming back home, that sense of home. And so working with the ancestors in a spiritual sense um, really helped to plug me back into the things that I had been ripped away from. And so eventually that folded into my psychotherapy work. During my psychotherapy work, we did a big project on family story and family history and how then that shows up in our own personal lives now. So I had these multiple streams all leading towards this. 
So when, uh, so my book is Ancestral Whispers, A Guide to Developing Ancestral Veneration Practices. Um, the roots of that book actually started as a course that I started putting together just as I was finishing my psychotherapy work. And that was about 2019. Um, I started doing, uh, putting the notes together, putting this course together to work on ancestral story from a therapeutic lens. And then suddenly the pandemic hit and we had death everywhere around us. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to sit down and write this book. I feel like this is the time. This is the place. People are looking to their ancestors now. I saw a lot more media connected with death and dying and, and, and also ancestral work within the communities I run with. So I started writing the book. I had a couple of people um, who were already published, who helped and assisted me and gave me guidance and introduced me to my publicist, which was nice, or publisher, I should say. Um, and now, three years later, after starting to sit down and write this thing, it's almost ready to come out. So that's the, the short term, uh, the short part of it, really. Yeah, I love that. You know, it's always exciting <laughs> when we kind of birth something that we've created, because that's really yeah. what this is about. And I agree with you. COVID brought a real big focus on lots mm -hmm. of things. I also think Disney helped a little bit in yes. their movie, right? Absolutely. Um, because when I look at those traditions, for me, because I wasn't part of that culture, I would always look at those things and be like, ooh, right? Yes. It was kind of frightening. And then when the movie came out, it was like, oh, mm -hmm. I get it. I get it. I never got it before. So yes. I, I love that we're connecting. So Ben, what would you tell someone that doesn't know about their ancestors, hasn't really connected? How mm -hmm. can they kind of do that? I mean, what, where does somebody start that hasn't worked with their ancestors to really build that foundation? Absolutely. So, so really, that is the core question of the book. The book addresses that particular question. The need that I saw, particularly amongst Westerners, is that we are so disconnected because of history from our ancestors, especially in North America and Australia and other colonial countries, right? Um, people are disconnected from the homelands in Europe or, or other places around the world. People are um, not necessarily uh, grounded in the lands that they're existing on because of colonialism, um, even though the, that history can go back 200, 300 years. And so they've, and also because of the, the um, funerary industry has really removed death from our everyday lives. So I feel like the more the modern epidemic of people not knowing how to connect with ancestors um, from a, a cultural place, from a personal place, really comes from that uh, disassociation from death and from family, right? So how I address the book, first of all, it's in two parts, and this is really answering the question here. It's what you think and what you do. I think a lot of people, and you hit the nail on the head, people watch the movie Coco, or there was another one from, uh, from Pixar a couple of years earlier. Um, people look at the, word, uh, at the movie Soul, and they start to think about, okay, what is the greater cosmological uh, significance of, of me? What is, where do I fit into this greater cosmos, and what do I do with that, right? When we look at, Co at Coco, we look at the little, um, the little kid Miguel, where does he fit into this much broader family that is continuing even in the afterlife, right? 
And so I feel like a lot of people, um, because of perhaps Western culture, because of, of, of Christian culture, um, they tend to associate the dead with being in some far off distant place, inaccessible and not being relevant to the now, even though we live in the context that they created. So how I usually um, tend to approach it is I get people to think about their worldview. When looking at the movie Coco, something strikes a chord with people. And that's usually relationship. People are yearning for relationship. And I think you know this because of all of your other content. All of the other guests that you've had on speak about relationship, whether it be relationship to guides, to God, to the divine, to the cosmos, whoever it is, right? And uh, and so that key piece about relationship, well, okay, when's, what's the next question after that? Who are you relating to? How are you going to relate to them? Because, you know, you can look at the movie Coco, you can build an offender, you can build a, a beautiful altar in that style. But if that is indicative of a relationship in within one culture, how is that going to impact you? So the first whole half of the book is really about worldview. How do you see the ancestors? How do you see spirits in general? How do you see the cosmos? Where do you fit into all of that? And then when you've discovered those answers for yourself, or at least a few pieces to that, you can move on to the next pieces. Okay, well, how am I going to relate? And that's the doing piece. Um, ancestor veneration is often a fraught topic for a lot of people because, again, that Judeo-Christian uh, Western perspective, we don't worship our ancestors, ancestors are not to be worshipped, blah, blah, blah. Well, if we replace that word worship veneration with relate, then it becomes a lot easier for people. How do we relate to the dead? Well, we relate to the dead all the time. We have so many rituals culturally already. So how do we take those and place them into a living spiritual practice, which is really a living relationship with the dead? How can we then you know, bring them back into our lives and how can we relate to them on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, and so that's really how I, I suggest people start to go. That journey is going to be dependent upon every individual and how they approach it. Um, you know, certainly there's issues of, of family trauma, religious trauma can come into that too. Um, sometimes people don't know who their ancestors are because of adoption, because of um, the African-American community and slavery, the Middle Passage, you know, not knowing who your ancestors were in Africa or in other countries. Um, and But you know where your ancestors from here are. They're buried in this cemetery, they're from this place and so on and so on. So the relationship can look different depending on who you are. And uh, and so then I, I feel like it's about deprogramming and asking uh, permission, deprogramming that, that need to ask for permission of how to do things, and then just going with it. So I hope that answers the question. There's no, a huge I love, question. I love, that. <laughs> I love that answer because we could go in a zillion ways because I'm thinking, number one, as family, we used to stay in the same place for... Yes hundreds of years and now it's not unusual that you have children all over the place and they've moved and so we have this disconnection which kind of pulls us away from our ancestors and family but we also have this piece coming in in society today where more and more people are living together because it's affordable and you're seeing grandparents and parents and children trying to have this family so it's like we crave that we miss yes. not having our family next to us right 
And so as we get disconnected, it kind of pulls us away from that family unit that we used to have hundreds of years ago. Everybody stayed in the same town, right? And today we're everywhere. So connecting back to our ancestors has got to be a really powerful experience of who are we? Because they're a piece of us, right? They're not separate from us, right? And that's exactly it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we're everywhere. And the other thing to this is death. You -hmm. know, over the last several years, death is something we push away. We don't pay attention to. And it's such a sacred process. And I know with teaching about death and dying, it's getting people to release, you know, to kind of step in more of this is sacred. Why are we not gathering around and supporting them on this sacred journey that they're fixing to take versus, oh, they whip them out and they're gone. And then, you know, and what do we do afterwards? So there's all those pieces to this. So oh, there's um, so many pieces. Yeah, so many pieces to it. And we don't talk about it. There's not a lot of people talking about it. So that's why I'm excited that you're talking about it and sharing because I think it's a real need. And COVID made us all feel so isolated. And we're like, oh, you know, these people are dying yes. alone without their family. That's exactly it. Right? That's exactly it. That key piece right there. People are dying alone. People's bodies are being placed in like Heart Island in New York, right? People are not being allowed to celebrate um, the rituals that are so in- intrinsic to us sending people off making sure that they get to where they need to be, right? And that's across the board. You look at, at, um, at, at, at this was a worldwide experience. Everybody around the, of the planet was affected by this. And everybody around the planet were halted from doing what feels very natural to us, right? And, uh, and, and even now, the repercussions of that are that, you know, people passed away during the pandemic and, and, and people don't have that closure because they weren't allowed to sit shiver. They weren't allowed to have that 24-hour period of placing the body in the, in the grave. They weren't allowed to come together as community and, 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 and enjoy each other in a communal setting, right? So it's huge. And I think also a lot of people then especially in the West, um, because of the way that we treat people who are dead, we tend to create voids, right? What happens when somebody dies? Usually what happens is um, the coroner comes, the police come, take the body away, and the next time we see it, it's backlit in a $5,000 casket minimum, and uh, it looks like it's like they're sleeping. And then the body is taken away and cremated or put into the ground, and that's it. We then don't talk about the dead. We don't talk about... Um, individuals who have died we don't talk about them unless it's in the past tense well they so-and-so used to like this so-and-so did this so-and-so now as spiritual people we know that energy can't be created nor destroyed so we're doing a disservice to our dead when we refer to them in the past tense in that way but that's a very western thing when you look at other cultures around the world that's actually not a norm the dead are different but they're still present Suddenly they're not in the in the living room, they're in the shrine. Suddenly they're not necessarily in the same space as us, they're in the spirit world somewhere. 
but you're making offerings, you're talking to them, you're still relating to them. Many times, uh, many cultures have divination systems with the dead. And so you're able to still communicate with them. And uh, and I think that as Westerners, uh, again, because of culture and because of history and because of the funerary industry, um, we've been brought away from those very traditional ways we would have necessarily seen the dead before. Um, and, and I think that needs to change. And I think there's a yearning for that. That's why people are so excited about these topics, why people are so interested in our death, why we see death doulas being such a, a huge industry, a, a burgeoning industry, right? So. And people are really drawn to do that. And I know in my class, mm -hmm. death dying, it is a specific individual that's like, this is my work. This is what I want to do. And they're very compassionate and supportive and they see the beauty in it and you're seeing it more and more and like you said in the last few years it's really growing as a study and in industry because there's a lot to this and the healing from the grief right of loss yes. if we did it such a different way right i lost a lot of my family when i was very very young mm -hmm. and you know, my perspective on death is very different than everybody else because I experienced it at eight years old in right. a very open way. And I was like, Oof. that's very right? young. Right. Yeah. And it has an imprint on us. Whereas my oldest daughter has never experienced it today. And she's in her forties. What a different perspective. But still, we all experience it in different ways. So Ben, what are some of the cultures that you've seen and traditions that some of our listeners may not know of you know honoring our ancestors being there because i'm sure there's a wide variety of different things oh. out there and that was the fun part about researching this book so it, it took me a lot longer to research this book because i just went down so many rabbit holes um so i i i talk a lot about those other cultures in 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 my work um one of my absolute favorite cultures is the uh sadan turaha people and they're in sulawesi sulawesi is the it's the island that kind of looks like a flower right in the middle of indonesia and uh the history of those people um very animistic um culture um and about 100 years ago protestant dutch protestant christianity came in and converted a lot of them and what they did was they syncretized their older traditions with the newer tradition coming in. And what they practice is they practice a form of, um, of ancestor veneration, which is they don't see the, they don't see physical death as the moment of death. They see death as being a ritual process. So the ritual has to be performed in order for that person to die. And sometimes, depending on the, on the, um, on the, uh, the the place in society of the individual, um, you know, noble no, nobility aristocrats, they get much bigger, lavish festival, um, almost festival type funerals, and that can cost the family a massive amounts of money. And some, so sometimes the the funeral can um, sometimes be maybe five, ten, even sometimes twenty years after the physical death of the body. Now, what happens is that the body is kept in the home while that is while that's happened, um, while they're waiting for the funeral to take place, especially uh, amongst um, kind of lower class individuals. Um, and uh, and how they then refer to that person is um, grandfather, grandmother is ill, 
we're still offering them food, even though the, the body is dead, it's not animated. Uh, no, I should say the body is dead, but the spirit is still animating the body. It's still in there. That's the belief. And so they treat that individual then as still being part of the family, still living. Um, so they offer them food, they offer uh, them uh, clean clothing, they take care of them while they're waiting for their funeral. And one of the interviews that I saw, um, this young woman who I believe she had done most of her training in Singapore and then moved home. And she was talking about how, um, you know, even though on a kind of a mental level, they know that this person is dead right now, on a social level, they're not dead. And in many ways, it can help with the grief process because it's about control, right? So the, the, the society can, um, can take a, a guiding hand in this process. And so the whole interview was about her preparing for the funeral of this individual who died 15 years earlier. I think it was his, uh, her grandfather. And, um, and there's this big, lavish festival put together, big, lavish funeral. People come from all over the place and uh, they have a huge, massive feast. Um, there's games and the ancestors are invited to this to this space. So the ancestors are present there. And how they um, how they represent their ancestors, they actually perform mummification. So they they represent the ancestors both as mummified bodies, but also as um, carvings. And so the carvings of the dead are brought. And uh, and there's a particular point in the funeral where the body is then placed into a casket and is starting to be moved towards a necropolis, which is the local village cemetery that's in the shape of a village. It's like a small pseudo village. And uh, and at that moment, then there's a very particular moment, the person is considered dead. And then the waterworks start. People then know this person is now in with the ancestors. The ancestors have been invited to come collect them and the body is then taken to the necropolis. So it's a really communal event. Um, and I absolutely loved that because again, it's that, that sense of uh, inviting the ancestors in, not seeing them as a way in some afterlife that's inaccessible, but being very present. But still the social rules of this is the world of the living, this is the world of the dead, and there's that transition point. So I really, 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 really loved that um, tradition. Some of the other traditions that I saw was, again, about that communal piece. So um, the in Islam, for example, whenever somebody has died, and in Islam, it's 24 hours, you have to get the body into the grave um, because of the belief of, of trying to get the body as intact as possible. And as soon as the funeral happens, the local mosque, uh, wherever that is, will then dedicate that evening prayer to that person. And so the call goes out, so-and-so in the community has passed away, come and pray for them. And so then everybody comes to the mosque and they pray. And that's, uh, that's something that in North America is a little bit more difficult because people live further away, whereas in the Middle East and in Muslim countries, um, the, the mosques are everywhere, right? Same as the churches, right, are everywhere. Um, some other uh, traditions that I, I love, particularly in, in African traditions, is the tradition of divination. So actually communicating with the dead. That's something that I think most of your viewers will understand because, you know, you're communicating mediumship with archangels, with, with uh, land spirits and so on. So that shouldn't come as much a shock for your viewers. But for many Western people, we don't tend to think of spirit communication because it's such a taboo subject. 
but I particularly love it. I think it's a beautiful tradition and it was multiple different ways uh, around the world where people do that. But it's, again, it's that recognition that death is just a state of being. It isn't a, it isn't a, you know, a far off distant land, right? We can still communicate with the dead. And so my own experience is communicating with my own dead. Um, you're starting to see those traditions filter into North American culture now. We have like the Dumb Supper, for example, which is um, coming together in a cafe-like um, uh, uh, ritual and inviting the dead to take on uh, an empty seat in front of you and communing with them. And I've had some beautiful conversations with some of my ancestors um, in that way. But it's it's an, a very intentionally set space. Only those ancestors that we call are allowed to enter that space. It, it becomes less dangerous than going off into the woods and hoping that our ancestors will show up. You know, sometimes, you know, other things might show up and present themselves as, as ancestral when they're not. But um, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I mean, we could go in lots of different ways, but one oh. of the things, one of the questions I wanted to ask is, you know, we talk about the sacredness of death and the traditions of death and, you know, communicating with our ancestors. But even past that, I know you talk about our ancestors are an important part of our life today and how they can help us today. So let's talk a little bit about that because we really haven't touched on that yes. area of topic so that we can share with our listeners. So how can our ancestors help us in our life today? What is what is that about? Mm -hmm. What is their role? So that that's where it comes there's multiple there's multiple components to that. So that's where it really comes down to worldview. If you see ancestors as being in some far off distant place that is not accessible to us, then they are gone out of this world where they don't have impact. But if you see them as being present here now as, as, as a spiritual force, then it means that, first of all, they're accessible to us. And because of their state of being, they have a much wider view of reality than us. And so they become accessible for that work. They, um, in most traditions around the world, see them as having power to intercede in, um, uh, in ways that we don't necessarily have. So then that becomes part of that ancestral work as a spiritual um, relationship um, of, you know, going to your ancestors, asking for their blessings and working with them to improve our lives. On a different level, on a more social and psychological level, the ancestors created the context that we live in now, just like we're creating the context that our descendants are, 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 are living in, right? So for example, with you, you lost many of your ancestors, many of your family when you were eight years old. That's going to impact then how you uh, raised your own children. So your children live in the context that you created because of your experience with your family and that loss, right? In the same way, then your, your descendants will create the context with that as part of their story going forward. So when we look at our, our uh, how we were raised in our own families, our family of origins, our communities, because ancestors are not just biologically related to us. Um, in this way, we have very uh, varied forms of ancestor. We're then looking, okay, 
what we're living with right now came from them. We need to understand that context so we can understand our context better. So then we can make better choices of the future or perpetuate. So, you know, a lot of people with, uh, with ancestral trauma tend to focus on trauma. What about strengths? You know, when I looked at my own family history, I noticed that workaholism is a big part of our family story on both sides. And that's created a lot of unhealthy things. But underneath that workaholism is a lot of strengths. And when I started to recognize that and that I was raised with certain um, strengths in my life that I can then utilize in now that are part of me because of that history, I started to recognize that in myself and I was able to change my own life. So in that way, working with the ancestral piece becomes inner work for us. So I, I think there's multiple ways that we can go with that, but really those are the two pieces, the spiritual in the moment and then the story that we exist in and, and, and uh, created by. Well, the awareness, right? The awareness mm -hmm. of, yeah. hey, this, you know, we, we talk about Tibetan in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. They talk about mm -hmm. a lot of people believe that if your father was an alcoholic, that you're going to be an alcoholic. And they talk about, mm -hmm. no, that's not necessarily true you yeah. may have chose that father for that experience mm. to prevent you or to overcome something and it has a bigger picture to it than mm. what you think it doesn't necessarily mean and i can say that because my father was an alcoholic and my mother right. feared that i would become an alcoholic and i never have right. sometimes we take those experiences and we you know, we learn from them, we shift what that could be, right? Mm -hmm. And so awareness, perception, understanding is powerful Absolutely. when we look at family and ancestors. I am so excited for your book and we will definitely <laughs> have you. it in our store. But then is there ways that people can connect with you? Like, do you offer classes? Do you do share with us a little bit about some of the stuff that you offer that people are Absolutely. interested in? Absolutely. So I um so most of my work is in as a therapist, um, and I bring in the spiritual in my therapy. So I I I uh, I I am taking clients. I can take clients from North America and the and Europe. Um, people can go to benstimpson.com, um, and that has all of my offerings on there. I also offer spiritual direction. So uh, people who are not necessarily looking for psychotherapy counseling, but are looking to explore those bigger pieces. Um, I also offer ancestral counseling. So particularly for people who are looking into their ancestral story and are looking for a mix between, you know, dealing with some of the, the trauma that is coming up from family stuff, but also looking at developing um, ancestor work as a spirituality for themselves. I also offer that. Um, in uh, For workshops, I have all sorts of workshops planned. A lot of my work is um, is focused on you know, neo-paganism and, and folklore and, 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 and historical studies like that. Um, so I have classes on, on British uh, mythology and folklore. Um, I have a couple of classes organized for um, more spiritual topics, and those will be uh, throughout the fall and going into the new year i also have a podcast too so i'm also a podcaster um and that's also on my website too and a lot of my guests are other authors from most of the um uh, spiritual and metaphysical um publishers and that's also you can find that on my website too so um really all over the place with my things but um you can also and and it really does help if people do this 
um, go and find my social media. Um, ben Stimpson author on most of them. I'm more active on Facebook, but I'm trying to get more active on Instagram. Um, I think I need to hire someone like you. <laughs> But, uh, but go and give my stuff a like. I am sharing stuff on there all the time. I also share a lot of things from uh, my colleagues and my friends um, in, those, in that world. So um, go and give my social media a like and, uh, and, that's, and, and reach out. If people want to ask questions, I'm, I'm more than willing to answer questions and connect and, uh, and reach out. So I love that. I love that. I teach a class on death and dying. And I'm actually going to put this podcast on their online platform so that they can listen to it and find out more because I loved our conversation today. And most people that take that class are really interested in this stuff and diving deeper. So mm. as students, I teach that class once a year. As students sign up, I'm going to add this to it so that they can have a broader perspective because Wonderful. not a lot of people are talking about this and it's a been a, an amazing conversation because I know for me personally, I decided Angelic Reiki has a death and dying course that I teach. Mm -hmm. And when they first offered it, I was like, mm, I'm not yes. sure that's for me. And as I got into these books and these studies and I started looking at it, I'm like, whoa, this is powerful. It's really powerful when we think about how do you want to die? How do you want your family to die? The sacred process and how do we hold space for them? And all of this stuff is so powerful. And it also helps, I think, lots of people to understand that, that death is not the end. No, that there is the so thing. much more past that. And um, I know when I first got on my spiritual path, I was afraid of death and I'm not anymore. Oh, I know that it, this is just a chapter within a whole entire book and we're just here to experience yeah. it. So I think the Absolutely. more people we can educate on that, the better off the world will be, right? So I agree. And and if I can make one last comment on that, you know, um, I feel like a lot of people, and that's why I'm really bridging out from the kind of the neo-pagan world and more into the, the general spirituality world. Um, you know, a lot of people work with angels, a lot of people work with spirit guides, a lot of people work with deities. Um and my experience with angels is that when it comes to death, they are very ambivalent because they've never had to go through a death themselves, right? Um, and so angels are beautiful, wonderful creatures to work with and beings to work with, but they might not quite get death the same way that an ancestor that has died um, will get. So I would say it's expanding your network when it comes to spiritual beings and those relationships um, and, uh, and, and maybe going to work with, you know, a group of people who have already experienced something, you know, you wouldn't necessarily go to uh, a chemical engineer to talk about parenting if you're in the process of having, giving birth, right? So, you know, it, unless that they've gone through a birth themselves, you know. Well, and I think that, <laughs> I think that's perfect. I mean, at least for me, when I channel beans and those of you that are connected to your beans, Think about the information they bring back after they pass that you connect yes. with. Like, oh, it was beautiful. It was such, I mean, that's what they all say is it was beautiful. It was sacred. It was, it was the most loving energy around you that you've ever experienced. Right. And to hear that come back because my husband is atheist. He doesn't believe in any of this. He does. He thinks this is it. And I'm just like, I would love to be a fly on the wall 
Um, anyway, so to see his face, <laughs> to realize this isn't it, that there's mm. so much more, right? Uh, but it's okay. It's all of our personal experiences and we should experience it the way we're supposed to. It's not my job mm. to make you believe in something. I want to share with you what I know and take what resonates, right? Everybody has a different belief system and I love all the different belief systems. Yes. And I think they're purposeful. They're for us in this lifetime. Whatever you believe is perfect. That's that's what this is all about. No judgment, no criticism. I have none of that for anybody. I hold loving light for everyone and where they're at because it's not my place to push, mm. to require. And I don't know if you feel that way, Ben, but that's kind of my <laughs> my space is i totally agree no i totally agree and and one of the the pieces about this book that i'm particularly proud of is that i do not give anyone anything to do in this book there are exercises there are journal prompts but i don't give anyone a ritual to perform i don't give anyone a belief to believe i don't give you a tradition to follow what i'm doing the whole book is really a 250 page therapy session what I'm asking you to do, you said something very important there is all beliefs are beautiful and they are. People, I think, often don't understand what they actually believe because so much of belief is just underneath the surface. It's operating. It's creating those lenses that we see the world through, but we're not necessarily conscious of them. Right. And so this book is really about getting people and readers to think about, okay, what do I believe and based on that belief, how then do I relate with these other beings, right? I think that's perfect. That is so perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time today. It has been an amazing conversation. And now as you move forward, if you create other books or other things, we'd love to have you back on the show anytime Wonderful. that you'd like to come back. And if you're ever in Denver, we would love to host a book signing or do something Wonderful. fun while you're in town. So um, think about that in your travels if you ever get our way. And those that are listening, thank you so much for taking the time today to listen. I hope you'll like, comment, follow us on all of our different platforms. Um, I hope you enjoy the information that we're giving. You know, it's all about sacredness and magic our show is and life is all about those two things. So I wish all of you a very magical day, and I hope that we see you soon, either online or in person. So have a great day, everyone, and thanks for listening. Are you seeking an online spiritual education resource? Do you crave to know more about various topics of spirituality? Discover Your Spiritual Gifts Academy offers a wide variety of programs, including Crystal Alchemy, Tarot, The Journey of the Fool, Akashic Record Reading Certification, and much more. These online courses allow you to learn on your schedule and at your own pace. You can find out more at www.discoveryourspiritualgifts.academy. Thank you for joining us. To find out more about Violet, head over to discoveryourspiritualgifts.com. You can also send a personal message to Violet through email violet at discoveryourspiritualgifts.com. If you love the show, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Until next time, remember, we are all meant to have abundant and joyful lives. We hope to see you soon at Discover Your Spiritual Gifts.